Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. The WSOP and ESPN announced this week that the edited version of the main event final table will air this Sunday, February 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. We talked about this a couple of times in the fall. You know, it was split into two tournaments, played mostly online with two in-person final tables, and then a heads-up match that ESPN filmed. Here's my question for you, John. Has enough time passed since we last discussed it for you to have forgotten the results and be able to watch on Sunday spoiler-free? That's uh, that's amusing. Uh, let's see. Yes and no. I'd say gun to my head. I don't remember who won. But once I started watching, I might know or at least remember who's going far. I okay. think so. Um, and, and I'm really a rep for that ultimate casual watch of a poker event. You know, full disclosure, I would watch if I remember that it's on, but more likely I'll forget it's happening. So the question is, will this podcast in- intro chat here kind of put me over the top? I think it's about 50-50. Now, I am a people watcher by nature, which is how I got into watching poker years ago. Uh, how, you know, how they handle challenging situations, how they, you know, and let's face it, they're among the best people watchers on earth. That's how they make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, that interests me. Uh, I'm almost all the way through the dreadful season of The Bachelor, which I fear has jumped the shark, <laughs> which is worth Googling, maybe. Um, it's all Gen Xers now who just want to show up and promote their Instagram and TikTok postings. I mean, it's just uh, nonsense. I understand there's going to be a spinoff of sorts or uh, senior bachelors and bachelorettes. Uh, that'll tell me once and for all if I'm watching the show just to analyze the relationship dynamics or just because I like looking at beautiful young people. I'm not sure. So <laughs> professional poker players, not so beautiful. So. No. Now, so now I think I'm going to feel less shallow if I do tape the WSOP final uh, and watch it, because that means that I'm interested in the people watching and not the uh, people staring and ogling. Well, the thing that gave away your uh, your age most there was that you said <laughs> tape it. Uh, nobody tapes anything. Set the DVR <laughs> is the uh, the proper terminology. Um, but uh, I'll do yeah, that. I, I should have known that uh, you would take a, a a conversation about the WSOP on ESPN and somehow uh, twist it into a conversation about The Bachelor. But um, <laughs> I, I saw a mention in the the press release from uh, ESPN and the WSOP that the commentary team will be. Lon McCarran and Jamie Kerstetter, uh, no mention of Norman Chad. Uh, I'm not sure what that's about, although either way, Norman or Jamie, they're using a former Gamble On guest, uh, whichever uh, one is accompanying Lon there. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, a nice four hour broadcast uh, for me as a guy who does enjoy watching poker on TV for both the poker and the people watching. Uh, it's a fine way to spend my Sunday night. I will not be able to watch it spoiler free, no matter how hard I try to forget the result. Uh, But I will nevertheless watch attentively to see if they give me credit for this idea. I figure if Norman was on the broadcast, I would have considered myself about a 50 to one dog to get a shout out without him. eh, It's probably about 5,000 to one. Uh, yeah, that's probably being generous, but, uh, you, Hey, the fact is it is what it is. If whether they credit you or not, you had it first. That's right. Well, you and I and our listeners will know, uh, who, who cares what the rest of the world thinks. Right. 
All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 131 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 130 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. As with the WSOP main event, we'll be careful on the podcast this week not to give any spoilers for old episodes of Gamble On. Oh, I like that. Uh, and coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by ESPN gambling writer David Payne Purdom. Uh, he's going to talk about the challenge into deciding, you know, what to report on, his expectations for sports betting legislation, places like Georgia and New York, and why he insists on spelling out in his Twitter bio that he is not good at gambling. But first, it's been another week since we've talked about the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's start out this week in the state of New York, where mobile sports betting may or may not be coming anytime soon, but a couple of companies are positioning themselves to offer it just in case. On Monday, we got the news that Penn National had signed a 20-year, quote, strategic partnership with Rivers Casino and Resort, giving Penn access to one of Rivers's online betting skins and effectively giving Barstool Sportsbook an entryway into the New York market assuming there is a New York market. Uh, and if there is one, it remains to be seen how many skins and how many operators will ultimately be allowed. Two days later on Wednesday, Golden Nugget got in on the fun, announcing its own 20-year agreement with Tioga Downs. One key difference, though, is that while Penn National's deal is for both online sports betting and online casino, Golden Nuggets appears to be just for online casino, which is the more lucrative vertical, but seems the less certain vertical to get legalized in New York. Of course, none of this matters if New York doesn't legalize mobile gambling. Uh, and we'll ask David Purdom in a bit for his take on the likelihood of that. Uh, John, do these deals indicate to you that these companies know something we don't about how likely it is that bills will pass in New York? Uh, and any other thoughts on these 20-year partnerships? Well, it's amazing how timely this is because uh, particularly the online casino deal by Golden Nugget. Uh, I was just talking a couple of days ago to someone I know about, we're kind of reminiscing about the mega melodrama that was Meadowlands Xanadu back in 2002. And it's now the American Dream Meadowlands shopping and entertainment project almost two decades later. So for Xanadu, the original deal had millions of square feet of office space proposed by a major real estate developer in the region. I'll confess it took me a couple of years to reach the conclusion that this was really just a defensive move, right? The office space was never built and perhaps never will be, but guess what? No rival could build there either. So, you know, knowing that if something works out years down the road, you get the prize and the rivals don't, that alone is definitely worth something. And I think that's uh, possibly what Golden Nugget's looking at here. And the same goes for Barstool. You know, you're buying squatters rights, basically. Uh, but Governor Cuomo has to be won over, and it's not at all clear that – a, he pulls away from his tepid, eh, let the lottery maybe oversee a mobile sports betting operator, maybe just one, or if Cuomo even maintains that level of interest. And so I, I think all parties were wise to sign these deals, even if they don't go anywhere for quite a while. Yeah, that that's good analysis. I, I mean, the fact that they're is an online casino element being explored here. Just that alone is the most eyebrow raising part of all this for me, because that vertical really hasn't been talked about much for New York. Um, you know, the focus, at least in terms of what late legislators have been talking about and what the media has been covering is mobile sports betting. Maybe there's stuff going on with online casino legislation behind the scenes, but I don't know, either Golden Nugget knows something we don't, or basically what you were saying, they're going out on a limb to be positioned just in case. Uh, and that's not too damaging to them if, uh, if they're, put it investing in this for nothing, you know, mobile sports betting 
it's coming to New York. You can almost 100% guarantee it. Uh, the, the when is the question. Maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe 2023. But I think we all agree it's coming in some form fairly soon. But online casino, you know, that's where the bigger tax revenue for the state lies. So maybe that's in the works, too. But still, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if 2030 rolls around and New York doesn't have online casino gaming yet. Uh, you know, Sarah Slane talked about this with us recently. It's, it's just a whole different level of dangerous for the public, the, the, the online casino option. And a lot of states aren't interested in going down that road. So that's what I'm most curious to see here. Is New York really looking into this or is Golden Nugget just investing in it on the off chance that it happens? Yeah, and and Governor Cuomo was not never been impressed with the wow you can get up to hundred million dollars in in tax revenue from sports betting, you know he that's a rounding error compared to the total budget in New York blah 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 okay you know and so another two hundred million a year in online casino that's three hundred million. I mean, that's technically still a rounding error. It's probably, you know, 1% if that of the total budget, but you can say that about almost everything. I mean, eventually it becomes a little bit of a farce. So uh, I'm thinking back now, I wonder if this should have been pitched sooner, you know, uh, given Governor Cuomo's skepticism about the whole thing. Um, So maybe better late than never. But as I say, I think these are just options that were bought and I think it's smart, but I'm not convinced not only that, that online casinos going anywhere, I'm not convinced uh, online uh, sports betting is, is coming this year either. It is possible, and I haven't even admitted that in the last couple of years, so <laughs> right. I guess that's progress. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and, and just one thing I'll add is that if online casino is going to get in motion soon in New York, with online casino comes online poker, typically. And so if, if you know, this is an if followed by an if followed by an if, but if New York gets online poker and joins interstate compacts, liquidity concerns are solved. You know, add New York to what we already have and the online poker ecosystem is instantly in good shape. Yeah, if only Governor Cuomo was aware of all this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're telling me you don't think he listens to this podcast every week? I do not. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. So I could say whatever I want about him, at least. That's good to know. Um, all right. Our second... Everyone else says these days. You might as well. <laughs> exactly. Pile on. <laughs> all right. Our second story this week is a weird one. It's perplexing. It's maddening. And it has brought almost all of gambling Twitter together in near unanimous outrage. On Wednesday <laughs> afternoon, the Vegas Golden Knights proudly announced a partnership with Mexican company YouPickTrade.com now the official sports pick service partner of the team. So the hockey team is now in partnership with a tout service. The Twitter replies were something else. Uh, There were jokes, there were gifts, there was just the word yikes by a lot of people. There was wondering if the Golden Knights account was hacked. Uh, It's one thing to partner with a sports book that takes bets on your games. It's another to partner with a service that claims to know how to predict outcomes and might specifically tell its customers to bet on the Golden Knights to lose on a given day. Uh, The responsible gaming advocates were not a fan of this news, to say the least. John, what the hell happened here? Uh, do you think the NHL actually approved this? And is there a chance that the instant public backlash could lead to the Knights backing out of the deal? Uh, and I guess I should ask, is that backlash fully warranted or do you think people are overreacting at all? Yeah, I, I think with this, I think about you know within a month or two of the Supreme Court nuking the court effort of the NHL and those four other sports organizations to uh, uh, prevent sports betting outside of Las Vegas and Nevada. Uh, I spoke with NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman at an event held at the Meadowlands. And- 
announcing one of the league's first gambling partnerships. I mean, right out of the gate. So, uh, you know, Bettman's a Jersey guy and I've met him a few times and know of him since he was a top NBA executive back in the 1990s. So I tried to get him to explain basically how are you so adamantly against legal gambling right up until the moment Supreme Court ruled in May 2018 and seemingly a turn of the dime in the other direction in five seconds. You know, Gary's an attorney, let's put it that way, and I'll say uh, he's a pragmatist. So I didn't quite get my answer, but my sense is that Bettman will take any partnership he can get uh, to a point. Uh, if the Flames get too hot here, this is not a hill he's, he's willing to die on, though. I, I would warn the golden knights of that. Uh, and for those who are outraged, as you know, I say go for it because you've got a shot here. Uh, personally, I think I'm numb to what the leagues do at this point, having spent nine years covering their own outrage at New Jersey, trying to offer Las Vegas-style sports betting and then getting that whiplash as they spun in the other direction. I mean, at least the NFL sort of uh, covered themselves a little bit where they didn't, and NCAA to some extent too, they didn't jump in in two seconds like the NHL did. So uh, this one is definitely, I'd say, pushing the envelope. So, I mean, next thing you know, the uh, they're going to look look for a platinum sponsor of a weekly sports gambling podcast. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, hey, there you go. <laughs> um, it's funny, when you said uh, if the flames get too hot, my mind immediately went to capital F, Calgary Flames. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they tie into this. Let's see where he's headed with this. But uh, I guess you meant lowercase f. Um, yeah, m- most of my uh, analysis on this just has to do with reading the Twitter. Uh, I'm glad you can now click a button on Twitter to see all the quote tweets, because uh, that's where some of the best reaction was. People quote tweeting this with their comments. Uh, this news definitely got ratioed, uh, the term for when the number of replies is very high relative to the number of retweets and likes. Uh, but I found some telling quote tweets. Uh, our friend, Jamie Salzberg quote tweeted it with tell me you are clueless on the risks slash pitfalls of sports betting partnerships without telling me you're clueless on the risks slash pitfalls of sports betting partnerships was how he captioned this announcement. Uh, Rufus Peabody simply wrote, is this a joke with a facepalm emoji? Um, Pat Garofalo, a Minnesota legislator who's behind the regulated gaming legislation in his state wrote, So what happens when the pick service recommends betting against the Golden Knights? Sounds like a bad idea. And then uh, Doug Kazarian from ESPN wrote, step aside, Urban slash Jaguars. We have a new leader for worst decision by a sports team in the last week. Um, And of course, there were lots of uh, Vegas Dave references. Uh, And and that's basically what this is, a pro sports team partnering up with Vegas Dave, more or less. I would think someone, whether it's the NHL or the Nevada Gaming Commission, will throw their weight behind putting the kibosh on this and drawing the line here. You know, a sports book has the appearance of neutrality in terms of the outcome of a game. So you can partner with a sports book. They just want even action on both sides. A tout service is is not neutral. Uh, never mind that many of them are, are scammy and disreputable. And I don't know much about this particular company. But the important thing is they're not neutral. The the service and its customers have a rooting interest in the game. This just feels like not a road the regulated betting industry should want to go down. Well, you know the New Jersey Devils are uh, among the most aggressive teams in sort of in terms of gambling partnerships. I was yeah. down at the Prudential Center in Newark probably seven years ago, at least. Uh, they partnered up with an online casino company because New Jersey had uh, legalized it at that point. So uh, they tend to jump right in as soon as they can. They were right behind the Golden Knights with the William Hill partnership a couple of years ago too. Um, they haven't jumped in yet, and I'm going to kind of watch that because if if this is okayed, I think they might be willing to go for it too other than my sense that 
New Jersey regulators tend to be a little bit less diplomatic than Nevada regulators. Not mm. that Nevada regulators are lax and not that they're going to just let this slide no matter what, but I don't think they're going to make an immediate phone call and say, what the hell are you doing? Which uh, the devils might get here in Jersey. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, for our third and final story this week, we turn to the topic of casino expansion and we zero in on the state of Virginia which just last month launched mobile sports betting. Uh, well, the first commercial casinos in the state are coming, with four of them already moving toward construction, while a fifth in Richmond is being bid on by at least four companies. Most notably, Bally's submitted a proposal for a $650 million casino resort, the biggest and most expensive of the four pitched theoretical properties. Uh, the Cordish companies who recently opened a live casino in Philadelphia are one of the other bidders and the others are Colonial Downs and Urban One together and the Paw Monkey Indian tribe. It remains to be seen if Bally's will get the casino, uh, but clearly Virginia is a state making moves in the gaming industry, and we're running out of states that don't have any casinos, frankly. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on how the industry is shaping up in Virginia, and what would it mean if the Bally's proposal won? Well, there have already been a couple of $400 million casino project approved in Virginia, although they're not going to open for a couple of years either. But uh, the Bally's proposal, uh, you know, overall takes it to another level. Um, and the entire Virginia casino model strikes me as the start of a long, long delayed casino gold rush. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to find how many states have commercial casinos as opposed to tribal casinos. And the difference not being the quality of the entertainment, but in terms of whether the state is officially endorsing something or not, that that kind of uh, makes a difference to a lot of cash. Uh, citizens. So the American Gaming Association pegs it at about 25 states with commercial casinos, but they're including so-called racinos in states like New York and Delaware, which are kind of pale imitations for many gamblers, frankly. Uh, but as far as the South goes, and no offense to Maryland or Delaware that are so tiny that Virginia feels to me as if that's where the South begins. So uh, that makes it the northernmost co commercial casino free state in the region where the same holds at the moment for, let's see, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. You know, for whatever reason, Louisiana, Mississippi's, uh, their lust for gambling, which goes back decades, if not centuries, uh, it never seemed to influence the rest of the South much. Uh, maybe some of those states just blame the Mississippi River and riverboats and riverboat right. gamblers or whatever. They, they ignored that. But Virginia? Heck, if they can do this, and if Tennessee is still standing in spite of its recent foray into legal sports betting, mobile only, uh, well, we're off to the races, it seems to me, in the entire region for commercial casinos, mobile casino gaming, you name it. You know, the South shall rise again, and it also shall have uh, all kinds of new gambling options. Yeah, this this could prove to be sort of a tipping point kind of state for that whole corner of the country. Uh, it's fascinating to chart the casino expansion movement over the last several decades. I'm old enough to remember when there were only casinos in Nevada and Atlantic City. You're probably old enough to remember when it was only Nevada. Um, then, you know, it started growing a little bit. You could do it on land owned by Native American tribes and on fake riverboats. And, uh, you know, when I was in college in Rhode Island, uh, Foxwoods had opened recently, it was about an hour drive away. That was a big thing to do a Foxwoods trip your senior year when you and your friends are all 21. Uh, now there are closer casinos in Rhode Island. There are closer casinos in Massachusetts. My kids are growing up in a world where there's a casino basically in the parking lot of the Phillies and Eagles stadium. Uh, and so, you know, Virginia is is one of the last significant dominoes to fall in terms of having any casinos at all. As you point out, uh, the commercial casino aspect really sets it apart from a lot of its neighbors to the south. Um, but the whole thing is, is just normal now, you know, like sports betting on your phone, which 
you know, felt dirty and shady to most Americans just a couple of years ago. It already feels normal every day. Ho-hum. You know, I'll discuss my little $20 bet with my son as we're watching a game and my wife is in outrage that I'm poisoning his mind. So, you know, big picture, Virginia getting casinos is a, a significant part of the move in this direction. Casinos are normalized almost everywhere for better or worse. You know, as far as you and I making a living, it's for better. Uh, and for responsible gamblers like us who might enjoy the occasional social night out at a casino, also for better. Uh, but of course, we can't ignore that it is for the worse for some people. Yeah, and of course, the West is going to be last again, as it always is. And uh, I didn't understand it at first. Uh, obviously, there's some cultural aspects. I realize there's a lot of outdoors enjoyment out there. That's why people live out West. But mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that took me a while to notice is that almost every state especially east of the Mississippi or even into the middle of the country, um, they have their biggest cities on state borders. So that's why when you you add a legal casino, whether it's online or even just in, in those cities, uh, the neighboring states are going to uh, have their their residents are going to spend money elsewhere, right, in the next state. But there aren't that many states way out west where uh, their big city is right on the border with another one. So mm. if, if you add the gambling or not, it doesn't really affect the the neighboring state as much. So they're going to be last, and uh, uh, we'll worry about that later. But I think in the next five to ten years, you're going to see Tennessee uh, and Virginia in their own ways, each leading the charge for all of the southern states. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. I have a routine first thing every morning where once the coffee is brewed, I check my various email accounts, check my social media accounts, check my online bank accounts, and then I go to a very short menu of web addresses to make sure I'm not missing anything important. I can count those websites on one hand, and one of them is ESPN.com slash chalk. Joining us now is the lead reporter and writer on that page, a staff writer for ESPN who's been covering the gambling industry since 2008, David Payne Purdom. David, I believe it's been a little over two years since you uh, last joined us, so welcome back to Gamble On. Thank you for having me. I just uh, had lunch with the boss man there, and he made sure to tell you guys to take it easy on me. <laughs> right. uh, we make no promises. But, uh, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, this week, you and Doug Kazarian launched a new co-bylined weekly roundup of the best of the week in sports betting. It's great short attention span, gambling reading, quick hit notes and nuggets. One note that stood out to me in this week's column was you talked to Randy Blum from the Westgate Superbook about MLB reportedly dead the ball and how that'll affect scoring and other props this season. And he kind of danced around the answer. Maybe that's because he didn't have an answer. Uh, but I'm curious, with all the bookmakers you talk to on a regular basis, do you feel there are times where they're holding back because they don't want to let the betters know too much about what they're thinking and why they set the line where they did? You know, I don't. And while I try to maintain a healthy, you know, journalistic skepticism, I, I just don't see a lot of incentive for them to hold back. And that is because the market is so in tune these days that it's extremely rare that we're going to find a, you know, an off number that's significantly off. So uh, a point spread, or in this case, a baseball total is what Randy and I were talking about. And even if Randy thinks that, you know, this deadening baseball is worth much more or much less 
than the market does, the, the number is going to come out and it's going to be very, very similar uh, to, to what the whole market is. So even like I said, even if Randy has a, some sort of opinion, I think he knows that it's going to be close to the market number regardless. So he might he can be pretty transparent. You know, I, I often get asked about, you know, what, how do you know the books aren't making this up completely? I mean, that, a lot of times that comes with, you know, the betting splits. You guys have seen those, you know, where the percentage of bets or, or percentage of money that's bet on in a game or an event. People are like, well, how do you know they're not? And honestly, if they wanted to make it up, I probably wouldn't be able to catch it then. But for 12 years, I've been reporting on this and I've gotten to know these guys pretty well. So it would be a, a, a pretty violation of trust. Um, but there's also some other things that I've gone through where, you know, now I have sources that have worked in the industry and ones that have worked current are still currently in the industry. And the past guys that have worked there, none of them have ever said, yeah, we made that up, man. You shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to that. I just, I just never hear that. And secondly, you have multiple sources, as you guys are good reporters, you guys know, at, at each sports book. And sometimes I will, you know, check in with multiple guys individually, independently, without them knowing, and just ask, hey, what's the betting splits on this one or, or this game or this game? And I've never come across where there's been a significant discrepancy uh, where it's made me think, hey, these guys are, are, are BSing me a little bit. Right. Not, not to mention, it's probably to some extent in their best interest uh, not to not to be hiding things or trying to mislead in the sense that it's OK to educate the public uh, a little bit. I think I mean, tell me if, if you disagree, but that the sports books probably like a better who knows just enough to lose slowly rather than lose quickly <laughs> is probably in their long term best interest. Right. The churn, they call it. The churn. They want to <laughs> right. keep people playing, keep people coming into the casino if they're operating in a brick and mortar, and, you know, enjoying the drinks and the food and the table games that have a much higher hold. So, yeah, uh, the churn is what they all talk about, keeping guys in there. Uh, it comes into a play in the first weekend of betting uh, March Madness, you know, when we got those first four full days. If they've talked to me a little bit like, gosh, if we have a really great Thursday or a really great thir Friday, the handle drops significantly over the weekend. So uh, they do would like to prolong it and make sure that people are staying engaged. Right. Yeah. You know, David, you mentioned 12 years and I, I think it's close to that, that you've had uh, I'm not good at gambling as your mantra <laughs> on your, on your brief Twitter bio. So I'm curious uh, whether that has changed over the year. Are you any good at gambling now? And then also if I knew you were in the Las Vegas casino, you know, would I find you at the sports book or the uh, blackjack table or poker table or, uh, or a restaurant um, or a nightclub. <laughs> uh, where, where would I find you most likely out of all those? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I am a long, lifelong crappy gambler. Uh, I have not gotten any better than this. Now, I would say that I feel like I've probably learned what it takes to get better at that, you know, shopping for the best line, uh, trying to pick out smaller niche sports or niche markets uh, rather than, you know, the point spread on the big college football game or whether. But do I have interest in putting in the time that it would take? Nope. I, I still like to do this just for fun. I do it as well, bet as well, just to kind of keep up with the market. You know, it helps with the reporting. Um, but, you know, uh, when a lot of guys go in there and say, uh, hey, what's the limit on this game? I'm the opposite. What's the minimum? How, how small can I bet? And that's why. And when I go to casinos, I, I am at the sports book. As far as table games, uh, I do enjoy blackjack, but uh, I'm not any better at that. So uh, I, I hang out at the sports book when I'm at a casino. 
Yeah, I take that that little mention in your Twitter bio. It's almost a defensive move that uh, probably you're going to get constantly asked over and over, uh, you know, who do you like in the Super Bowl or whatever, because you cover gambling. Um, how successful is the uh, disclaimer or do you still get bombarded with, uh, you know, people wanting you to be a tout for them? Yeah, I, I still get that question often, and I'll okay. point out my, my Twitter. Look, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, but I, I am not good at this. I am a lifelong loser. Um, so it, I think it has probably been somewhat effective because I used to get guys, right when I started, they automatically think because I write about sports betting that I'm good at sports betting, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So I, I think the Twitter bio uh, has helped a little bit with that. All right. Well, as a losing gambler, an admitted losing gambler, things might be getting a little more dangerous for you soon because uh, you live in Georgia. Uh, you, you referenced going out to, uh, to lunch with our boss, Adam Small, who lives there as well. I imagine you're sweating the legislative developments uh, in that state very closely. Where would you set the line on when Georgia will have legal sports betting? And are there any other states you're particularly confident will cross the finish line in 2021? No, I think this is our third uh, serious legislative run at sports betting here in Georgia. And I would definitely say that I'm more confident about this latest one uh, than I have in the previous two. Even that said, I wouldn't make the line more than pick them. Um, there is a strong moral opposition here from the Southern Baptists, and they have power in the legislative market. They are opposed this time uh, by the professional sports leagues here, uh, teams here, the Hawks, Braves, Falcons, etc., um, so that uh, gives me a little bit more confidence, uh, but I do respect the power that the uh, moral authority uh, has have. Um, in terms of other states that are going to get involved, I still kind of think New York's going to pull it through. I know people, most people think that it's a severe underdog and there are certainly lots of hurdles to get through. But I think ultimately money talks and when they start seeing the kind of figures uh, that, that they could generate and the amount of money that they're losing from people going across the bridge to New Jersey to bet. Uh, I, I think in the end run, uh, long run, that the, the money's going to talk and then they're going to figure out a way to get it done in New York. So you think this year, specifically 2021, more likely than not, you think New York gets a, a bill passed? Yeah, small favorite, small favorite New York. <laughs> kind, of the, kind of the same around George. George's more of a pick em, small favorite for New York to get it done this year. And then there are some states like Connecticut, Massachusetts, which are people are starting to get positive vibes. Is there anything that you think is much more than 50-50 this year or just a lot of stuff like that in that kind of maybe this year, maybe next year sort of range? You know, when I went into the end of the last year, I thought Ohio was going to get this done. I had some lobbyists that tell me that they were. I uh, thought it was going to get done, and it kind of slowed down and bogged down again. Um, so that would have been my pick to start the year. It's no longer than. Uh, Massachusetts seems like it has lots of momentum. Anytime a state has um, tribal gaming, I, I think that kind of uh, bogs things down a little bit. And that's a part of the issue in Connecticut, why they haven't got it up there uh, in Bristol, where, where ESPN is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of them are touch and go. Uh, but I, we'll certainly see. I mean, we've averaged, what, about four or five, six or seven a year since PASPA went down. Right. Uh, so there'll, there'll be a flood of them, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I, I'd have to say, first of all, I, I enjoyed the New York dollars going to my home state of New Jersey. We got uh, <laughs> a bit of a pension, got a bit of a pension problem, and even a little rounding error is uh, is nice to grab. And uh, uh, frankly, Governor Cuomo is a little bit otherwise engaged at the moment and for various yes. reasons that have nothing to, nothing to do with this podcast. So that might not help their chances of getting this passed. Uh, but I want to talk about a few things that have bubbled up on social media. It's an interesting discourse. Uh, and uh, Eric and I are trying to figure it out. And I think you are too. Uh, you know, one is the, the $500,000 bet, let's say. It's kind of interesting in a, in a vacuum, uh, but we don't know if that's a billionaire who's, uh, you know, reaching for loose chains under the sofa or a guy who's getting, taking out his third mortgage and, you know, he's letting it ride to see whether he's financial ruin. And then also these like 12 team parlays, you know, maybe it's only $100 or $50, but then it pays out five, six figures. Uh, it's a big deal. And, then, and finally, you mentioned the handle, how big it is. Uh, you know, I think partly because of my state of New Jersey, it's so close to a billion dollars a month that it, it, the lure is irresistible to see. Are they going to get there? Are they going to get there? But, you know, admittedly, in a state like New Jersey, the actual tax revenue for the citizens is, you know, maybe 1% of the handle. So, you know, there's some feeling uh, or being a little misleading by explaining how much people are betting rather than how much the books are making and then ultimately how much the citizens are receiving in, in revenue. So uh, have you guys, you and your bosses sort of figured any of this out yet or is it still pretty much in flux? Oh, definitely haven't figured it out, but it is something we discuss uh, starting with the big bets. You know, my approach is to cover the sports betting market and the big bets are part of those. Now, I try to regularly, um, you know, mention that the biggest bets are not often placed by the sharpest bettors. Uh, bookmakers don't want to do that. That's not what they want their decision to be based on is some really sharp guy. So guys that get the extended limits are guys that are casino VIPs. They play a lot in the pit uh, or, or they spend a lot of money um, at some of the hotels or the restaurants. And, and they're the ones now they're the biggest bets. So they are interesting. They are part of the market to me. And I don't think my role as a reporter should be to judge what is a good bet or what is a bad bet. I just want to report that these bets have happened be great if I had context that I can say, oh, gosh, this guy, you know, he has, he's, he's running out of money and he's really pressing. Uh, and if I could, could, could know that. We don't know that, though. So these little tidbits uh, are interesting. It's, it's funny to me because the I'm sure you guys get it on Twitter. The backlash about these large bets always comes from people that know exactly who are placing those big bets. You know, they know that these are not professional bettors, but they content, they tend there, they kind of clutch their pearls in a way. They, they're like, oh, now the public's going to think uh, that this is uh, from a real professional better. You know, I don't know if you guys have, but I've never had a public better, recreational better uh, tweet back at me and say, oh, I guess that was a big better, a big sharp better that placed that bet. So I, I think that's a little bit overblown. I don't have any problem reporting the big bets. I think they're part of the market. If I'm going to cover the market, of course, I'm going to cover the big bets. Parlays are an interesting one, right? You know, because they are not often uh, a uh, what you'd call a plus EV uh, wager. And I, that goes back to my part about, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I should be the judge uh, of what's a good or bad wager. I, I just wanted to report that it happened now. There are so many parlays and we get one a day from umpteen books. I know you guys get the same emails, right? And there's always one at the bottom. That's pretty wild, a 12 teamer or whatever. But now they're a dime a dozen. We see them every day. So they're not as rare. So I don't report them. What I do like to look at is for um, 
a couple big upsets in March Madness on the first couple of days. Did anybody parlay those two on the money line or something like that? So I really try to look for unique parlays uh, to do it. I certainly don't want people to think I'm encouraging the parlays, but again, they're, they're part of the market and I do report on them. Um, the last question, the boy, that, that's a sticky one for sure. A lot of people uh, do get in an uproar that we should not report handle, but uh, I'm sure you guys saw Bill King from the Sports Business Journal. I thought he put it pretty well the other day in his response to somebody saying that it's an emerging market. We, people want to know how much is going into this market, and people like to know how much is bet on, on uh, in over a month and how the books did. So I always report them both, right? I mean, you report how much was bet and how well the books did. Uh, so I, I, I don't see a lot of reason for us not to report the handle. Yeah, one thing I'll say about that is that, you know, I figured for the majority of people in New Jersey, it's hard to believe a majority of people in New Jersey don't gamble, but it's probably true. It's true in every other state. Um, if you were to ask them, how much money do you think your fellow citizens in New Jersey, or how much did they bet last month total? They might say, I don't know, half a million dollars, two million dollars. Right. You know, Ten million would be like, and really, are people betting ten million dollars in the state in one month? Really? And then when the answer is nine hundred ninety-three billion, nine hundred ninety-three million rather, almost a billion, uh, they that's astounding to them. It might be terrifying to some of them, but the, their neighbors, because they're betting zero. So the you know, if it's one hundred fifty dollars a pop, well, I know three neighbors who don't bet at all. So you must be betting the four fifty to make up for it. <laughs> um, but overall, I think with these, I, I like the the discourse between the public and, and us. You know, I started a blog in 2010 called Metal Lens Matters at the uh, Bergen Record. And uh, being a sports guy in the news department, I was kind of a fish out of water. And the news people generally thought I was crazy. And, you know, immediately that happened to be a time when the fate of the Metal Lens racetrack, which is the most important harness racing track in the world, was mm -hmm. very much in jeopardy. And Monmouth Park, which has got some national following, too, and among the thoroughbreds, was in trouble, too. And so doing a lot of blog posts and kind of first person background stuff, I, the feedback I got was incredible. I mean, I learned so much more than I would have just writing a two dimensional newspaper story. So, you know, just, just like, uh, as you say, it is a little bit of pearl clutching now and then. And but I think it's good for us to to get some feedback. And then then we decide, yeah, we should make an adjustment based on that or no, we're not going to. But I think getting the feedback is well worthwhile. Absolutely. And a lot of times we take a case by case uh, look at it, you know, um, I guess the the Tiger Woods better. I know Tiger's in the news, unfortunately, real hope everything comes out with him. OK, but uh, a few years ago before he won the Masters, you guys will yeah. remember this. There was a gentleman that placed I think it was an eight thousand dollar bet on Tiger to win the Masters. And he hadn't played well in a long time and he had got pretty good odds. And he ended up winning hundreds of thousands of dollars. I couldn't remember what the exact amount was. Well, it turned out the guy had quite a bit of a uh, rap sheet, you know, some domestic abuse on there and all this kind of things. And so you have to kind of think, well, what should we do here? Do we have to run a background check on everybody that wins a big bet to report on it? And it's a dilemma. There is no uh, definitive answer, in my opinion. I really think you do have to kind of look at it a case by case. Yeah. And, and uh, the thing that you said in when you started to answer was, uh, you know, you dropped dropped in the word fun, that sometimes these bets are just fun and interesting to report on. And especially with your column with Doug, it looks like you guys are looking for some of those those interesting little nuggets like a, a friend of mine who lives in New Jersey told me he placed a bet last weekend. He did one of those same game parlays. He tried 12 mm -hmm. legs. It would have been it was for five dollars to win fourteen hundred and eleven legs hit. 
So they have the parlay insurance. He got his five dollars back. Uh, you know that sort of thing is like there are fun stories like that that uh, that, that don't necessarily perpetuate the, uh, the the dangers of of gambling and encourage people to to throw their money away in a, in a way that could possibly be construed as irresponsible. hundred uh, percent agree. We, we want to be as encourage responsible gambling as much as we can. And if a guy's betting $5, I think that's pretty good responsibility because I would <laughs> right. assume that uh, his bankroll is significantly larger than that. So <laughs> right. I, I, I almost like those kind of bets more than I do the large bets. Right. All right. I'll get you the details on his 12-team parlay so you can write Thank about you. it next Thank week. You. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great talking to you, as it always is, David. Uh, listeners, you can follow David on Twitter at David Purdom. David, thanks again for, for joining us on Gamble On. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. It's just about time to make some bets. Uh, But first, let's update our shared bankroll. And we just booked our third straight winning week as slowly but surely we crawl our way back toward respectability. Uh, John split his two golf bets, uh, but both were at plus money. So we only needed to win one to come out ahead. Uh, Dustin Johnson narrowly missed out on the top five by fading on Sunday. That cost us 50 bucks. But Victor Hovland delivered on the top 20 bet at plus 150. So we won $75 there. And my boxing bet on Otto Valin to defeat Dominic Brazil was a winner. That earned us $100. So we profited $125 on the week, leaving us down $758. We also have $967 on hold in futures bets. And let's take a moment to check in on some of those NBA and NHL futures bets. We have the Dallas Mavericks over 42 and a half wins. That got off to a really bad start, but They've now won six of seven to get to 15 and 15. Still some work to do there. We have the Wizards to make the playoffs also got off to horrendous start, but they've won five of their last six and sit just two and a half games out of the play in round. We have Portland to win the NBA title at 55 to one too soon to know much there, but they have been playing well. Uh, We have the Lakers under 46 and a half wins yet another bet that started really poorly, but we're only a small dog on that now that they've lost four in a row Uh, and good call by you last week, John doubting whether they would keep winning with Anthony Davis out. Um, you took Ben Simmons for over three and a half made three pointers on the season. We're behind pace there with just one so far. Uh, and we only have one NHL futures bet. It's on the Vegas golden Knights for under 75 and a half points. That would mean they need under 1.35 points per game. They've missed plenty of games due to COVID protocols and are currently at 23 points through 16 games, which is 1.44 points per game. So we're a little off pace there. John, anything to say about the state of our futures bets or your golf bets from last week? Uh, Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson. You know, he spent most of the weekend in the top five, but he, he just seemed to get bored after he fell a couple of shots off the pace. You know, he'd won four of his eight previous tournaments, so I guess it's understandable. Now, you know, DJ is one of many athletes who, who would no way are performers. They live to compete, but not to entertain. You know, the whole hoopla that, well, used to surround sporting events and crowds and all that is something that for a guy like him, it just has to be tolerated. You know, my brother and I went as spectators to a PGA Tour event on Long Island a few years ago, and we walked out maybe a mile or more from the first tee where a few spectators bothered to go. So there's only a couple of dozen, dozen of us at the tee box as DJ waited his turn. 
I guess it is a little weird if you think about the fact that everyone in a, even a modest crowd is staring at you. I mean, if you're conscious of that, it's a little unnerving. Uh, I discovered that one of DJ's coping mechanisms is that he just focuses on one spectator during that wait, basically removing everyone else from the picture. He just stares that person down. Uh, of course, story of my life, that lone bastard, of course, was me. <laughs> you know, I, I can hear, but I don't look at my brother who's saying, uh, Johnson's staring right at you. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Thanks. Um, now, if only I was in Los Angeles on Sunday. Uh, hell, if only any spectators were there on Sunday who could have tried to inspire DJ to care just enough not to make that fourth bogey that knocked him out of the top five by just one stroke. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, you're telling me that you have us betting on the Lakers having an underachieving season and LeBron winning the MVP. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is true. I guess one could say that the, the latter was maybe a hedge on the former, yeah, but right, uh, right. yeah, I think our chances of winning both are, are probably mm. slim. It's still, yeah, I think so. So, you know, but hopefully, though, at least we get one or the other. But anyway, after crunching all the numbers, we have $8,275 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. Uh, and you may recall I scored a win a couple of weeks ago with one of my FanDuel same game parlay bets on the 76ers. I have a specific strategy that I've been using in real life where I pick three or four very safe stat benchmarks with their reliable star players, Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris. I've started privately calling this the RPP, the Raskin word I can't say on a podcast, parlay. Uh, think of it as the Raskin conservative parlay, and you can guess what the middle P stands <laughs> <Yes>. for. Uh, <laughs> in real life, I've won six of eight so far. Uh, they've all paid between about plus 100 and plus 160 so it's definitely been good for my bankroll and we're one for one here on the pod going for two for two Sixers play Dallas tonight I'm staying away from Embiid because he looked tired two nights ago there's always a slight chance Doc Rivers limits his minutes if the game isn't too close but Simmons and Harris get their minutes no matter what so we need 10 points and six assists from Simmons and 15 points and six rebounds from Tobias. Not a huge return as these are fairly safe props. It comes out to plus one Oh five. If all four of those hit, let's bet a hundred dollars to win 105. All right. Sounds good. Uh, now the LPGA tour hosts its first full field event of the year this weekend. It's the Gainbridge in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. So give me $10 on retired legend Annika Sorenstam at plus 3,300 for a top 10. She's coming out of retirement. I know it's a real long shot, but that's the long shot price. And this is her hometown course, uh, literally where she lives. And most of the top LPGA players, they're basically just waking up after a long winter's nap. So who knows, maybe she sneaks it in and we get a little bit of a sweat on Sunday. Uh, but the main pick for me is Lydia Ko on the beware the injured golfer theme that's been around forever. Uh, Ko, like Sorenstam, lives on the grounds of this golf course and she's coming off surgery for a deviated septum. So hmm. I smell a value play here with Ko, sorry, with Ko uh, 20 to win at <laughs> plus 1600 and 70 to go top 10 at plus 188. Uh, we'll worry about rounding once we cash, Eric. Okay. Uh, boy, I haven't heard the name Annika Sorenstam in a while. Uh, but yeah, uh, she, she, used to, she used to be quite dominant, right? Uh, she oh, yeah. is, is she considered the greatest female golfer ever? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, okay. It's... Uh, it's not a hundred percent lock, but definitely in the conversation. And, uh, you know, she's been retired for a while. She's over 70 tour wins. And, um, like I said, I, I think she's a little bit underrated. Tiger Woods is understood as being hyper competitive to a fault. Mm -hmm. And Sorenstam is just so Swedish and so pleasant that people don't realize that there's a tiger underneath there. And I think, uh, so to speak, right. And I, I think she's, <laughs> I, I think she's been working on this for quite a while, whether she admits it or not. So I think she's going to at least put up a respectable showing. 
All right. Uh, for my second bet, I'm going to do an MLB futures bet. We already have your Dodgers under 103 and a half bet from last week. Um, I was trading messages with our resident Pittsburgh sports expert, Gary Rotstein, and he expects his Pirates to be, quote, historically bad this season. And while some books have their win total all the way down at 58 and a half, Fox bet has them up at 60 and a half. Uh, as Gary said, they were way below that winning percentage last season and most most of the best players from that team have been sold off. Uh, so according to Gary, under 60 and a half is a near lock. Uh, sounds good to me. And I can always blame Gary if it loses. Uh, it is priced at minus 118 on both sides at Fox bet, but I'm okay with that. Um, and as far as the betting amount, with these season-long bets, I know you tend to keep your bets the same size, whether they're season-long or individual game. I personally don't care for sweating the same $100 bet across 162 games that I would on a single game. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and up the risk and the sweat just a little to make it more worthwhile. Let's go $236 to win 200 on the Pirates under 60 and a half wins. Well, yeah, I had mentioned uh, recently that, you know, you're not going to cash a Dodgers under ticket on Labor Day. You're going to have to sweat it a little bit down the road. This one, you're definitely not cashing on Labor Day <laughs> unless they're going to uh, take on the 62 Mets for the worst record. Um, I got yeah, yeah, I'm nervous about that. I think the Pirates, they're, they're the kind of team that's just going to try uh, a lot of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And I think they'll get a couple of decent pitchers and a couple of decent hitters out of it and then hmm. win 65 games. But we'll see. All right. Um, I'll go back to the PGA Tour with a, a big, big event in Florida this week. Uh, the course is The Concession by Jack Nicholas and Tony Jacklin. That one uh, definitely is worth Googling if you don't know the story about it. It's uh, one of the all-time Ryder Cup tales. Um, but the pick is nice and easy. Patrick Reed for 100 and even money for top 20. It's only a 71-player field after a last-minute withdrawal by Patrick Cantley. All right. Uh, and that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, David Payne Purdom. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, I give the floor to you. Please take us out. Well, you know, Eric, I'm not by nature a patient man, but those who heard last week's closing know that that's had to change a little bit of late. Uh, that means that what once was a brisk trip to my condo's mailboxes downstairs uh, took a little effort, right? Now the walk limp can take, oh, 15 minutes round trip. With a 12-minute walk of shame, or in this case, I'll call it a walker of shame, uh, that followed once I realized I had left my keys in the mailbox. Ouch. Uh, almost literally. One step in front of the other. Uh, and as for gambling, I haven't thought to place an actual bet in two weeks now. I guess I've got other things on my mind. And frankly, I like being at the peak of my bankroll after four years of dabbling and leaving it there a little bit. You know, Why hurry to risk that rather pleasant-looking figure going down? Uh, it's something for any casual gambler to consider. A, like a mini vacation from gambling, whether you're a bit ahead or a bit behind. Just, uh, you know, stop and smell the roses. Spring is almost here after all. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Eventually. <laughs>